Hey everyone, this is Yvette Hampton. Welcome back to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. I am back today with Dr. George Barna and I feel like I could just talk to him for hours and hours and hours. Um, I am so thankful for the people like Dr. Barna who the Lord has just put in place for us parents, us younger parents who are still raising up our children to be able to sit at their feet and learn from them. Um, God has clearly worked in the life and through the life of Dr. Barna. And he talked about, um, you know, those, those seven cornerstones um, of spiritual development and, and how the, one of them, number seven, was to know that um, we all have a purpose in this life. We are here on purpose and for a purpose. And so Dr. Barna is living out his purpose. And part of that purpose is to teach us how to disciple the hearts of our kids. And I'm so grateful for that. So uh, so welcome back, um, Dr. Barna. I'm so glad to have you back with me today. Um, real quick, before we get back into our conversation, of course, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, CTC Math. If you're looking for a great online math program, visit ctcmath.com. Try them out for free, ctcmath.com. Well, um, Dr. Barna, let's talk about churches and the impact that church has had on culture. Let's talk about pastors, because I feel like when we talk to pastors, oftentimes they're just, they're, they're kind of at a loss. They're like, we're doing our best. We don't know what to do. We're trying to bring it back. We're trying to set that foundation, but there seems to be some kind of a disconnect between the churches and the pastors and the parents and the kids. And instead of all of us working together to present the biblical worldview that is set forth for us in scripture, it almost seems sometimes like we're all kind of going in different directions. Um, do you see that to be true? And then talk about church. How can the church come alongside of parents to help disciple their kids? And then I want to talk about discipleship specifically a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, Yvette, as, as I've been studying the culture and the church's role in it and church's performance in it, uh, it it's pretty clear that most Christian churches in America today are not disciple-making places. That's not their focus. Right. As we've interviewed senior pastors across the country, what we found is that there are five things that most churches measure in order to determine whether or not they're an effective ministry. More than four out of five senior pastors tell us that their church is very effective in ministry. And when we ask them, well, that's great, but on what basis do you make that claim? The five things are that they have growing numbers in terms of how many people show up, how much money they raise, how many programs they offer, how many staff people they've hired, and how much square footage they've built out. Yeah. Now, I'm a measurement guy, so I'm, I'm glad they're measuring things. But as a measurement guy, I know you get what you measure. You mm -hmm. only measure the things that you think are vitally important and that you're going to invest heavy resources into. Mm -hmm. And the problem with those five measures that churches use is that Jesus didn't die for any of them. And so that being the case, that that conveys to us, well, maybe we shouldn't be emphasizing those things. Maybe we ought to look at what Jesus said was important and start measuring those things. But we don't measure discipleship in churches. In fact, we spend a lot of time trying to find churches that do try to do an objective assessment of how they're doing at disciple making. And it's a very small number of churches across the country that mm -hmm. really take that obligation seriously. So, yeah. you know, how can that be turned around? Well, it's a leadership issue first and foremost. Yep. And uh, that's a whole other broadcast that we can do sometime <laughs> about leadership within the church. Yeah. 
But if we were to take it down and look at what's happening in the children's ministries in our Mm -hmm. churches, are we discipling them in those churches? The answer there is no. Because again, going back to those success factors, how many people show up, how much money, how many programs, et cetera. What does that mean? Well, we're really focused on adults because adults are thought to be what matters. And so then what about children? Well, children essentially are bait. What we're trying to do is hook the big fish. The big fish is the adult. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we can get them is if when their children come to church and they go into a Sunday school or some other program and they emerge feeling happy, uh, the parents felt that they were safe, maybe the child made some friends, uh, you know, uh, all of those kinds of things are what really matter to the parents. Parents aren't even going to church thinking, when I drop my kid off at, at Sunday school, I want them to be discipled. No, mm-hmm. they're thinking, I want them to be safe and happy. And if that happens, then they'll come back again. And then the church at large is happy because now they've hooked the big fish through right. the child. How can that happen? Well, partly, again, it's a leadership issue. We go back to the children's pastors in churches across the country. Our national survey of them found that only 12% of children's pastors have a biblical worldview. Wow. Again, you can't give what you don't have. Seven out of eight children's pastors do not have a biblical worldview. So if there's any teaching that's going on, it's probably not biblical. Right. It's certainly not systematic. Sure. Most likely not intentional and certainly not comprehensive. And so we've really got kind of a lose-lose situation going on there. Right. Because we know that those same children's pastors, for the most part, are doing next to nothing to come alongside parents mm-hmm. and to say, you know what, it's really your responsibility, not mine. I get them one week, uh, one hour a week. Right. You know, so what do I need to know about what you're doing so that I can support you as mm-hmm. you're trying to help build your child's worldview? Right. That's your job, and I'm here to support you in that. That kind of that kind of conversation or programmatic thrust doesn't happen in all but a a very small number of churches across the country. So here's a situation, again, where if we look at the local church, it's really not adding value to what most Christian families are doing, Mm -hmm. if they're doing anything, to try to disciple their children. Yeah. Oh, that's so hard to hear, um, because we see churches all over the place who are they're, they're doing all the fun things, you know, one of the ones, and, and I'm just going to say this, and for our listeners, if you're going to church that's doing this, I would say flee, run as fast as you can. But it seems like the new thing that churches are doing are like these movie series, and they'll bring in these secular movies. And I, I mean, I've not even seen one of these things because I can't even handle the thought of it, but they'll play a clip. I, I've seen previews of what they're doing. They'll play a clip from a movie, I guess, or something, and then try to top it off with the Bible. I, I, I'm i like, just teach the Word of God. Like, if you're going to disciple the parents to be able to disciple the children, you have to be teaching God's Word from God's Word, not just sprinkling on a little bit of God's Word onto this topical message that you might have or this m- movie that you think has some kind of biblical relevance to it. I mean, it's just so sad, but our kids go and they see the characters, like literally there's a church in our town where people dress up as the characters from these movies. And so the kids go through the lobby and, oh, this is so fun. There's, you know, all these fun, different cartoon characters. And it's just, it's egregious to me, to be honest with you. Um, 
And, and I think it's so damaging because then those parents are like, oh, but they're getting Jesus. And then those kids are walking away from the church 18 years later or 15 years later and parents are again scratching their heads going, we don't understand. We homeschooled our kids. We read the Bible. We taught them Jesus loves me. How is it that they're walking away from the faith? And, um, and so I, I, I'm so grateful for your, your study and your research to show like, all right, parents, it's time to get off the bench. It's time to just get really serious about this and be intentional in leading our kids biblically. Um, and it's a high calling. It's a hard calling, but it's not impossible because God gives us everything that we need to be able to train up our children in the way that he's called us to do so. So uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. We still have lots more to talk about. No parent should homeschool alone. You have a God-given calling to bring up your child to love God and to steward his creation. And BJU Press exists to help you be successful in that endeavor. Visit their website at bjupresshomeschool.com or call 1-800-845-5731 to connect with an experienced homeschool consultant. Apologia supports homeschool families with Christ-centered K-12 homeschool curriculum designed to engage your student as they experience the awe and wonder of creation and their creator. Designed by leading scholars with a biblical worldview, Apologia's award-winning curriculum is written in a conversational tone directly to the student to encourage independence. Hands-on activities and experiments help students solidify the concepts they're exploring and build a lifelong love of learning. Visit us at Apologia.com. We are back with Dr. Barna. Um, Man, this has been such a good conversation um, this week so far. I am so encouraged. And I'm encouraged because I know that we have we have a very engaged audience. We hear from you guys. We know that you're listening. And I love getting messages from you saying, wow, I listened to this one podcast. It was so good. Thank you for having this guest on. And I know that this episode will be no different. Like I said, I think this is one of the most important episodes we'll ever do uh, because the topic that we're talking about is the most important thing. It's about discipling our kids. Like we talk about math and we talk about language arts and we talk about history and those things are important too, but only if they're helping us to lead our kids to Jesus. This is the most important thing is teaching our kids to be disciples of Jesus, teaching them to follow the Lord, uh, setting that biblical foundation for them. So Dr. Barna, I know that as you have studied and stuff, you've, you have found that there are six things as you've looked at God's word that really make a person a disciple. Talk us through those six things and how we can help disciple our children as we ourselves become true disciples of the Lord. Yeah, it was fascinating to me in doing the the research before sitting down to write the book and put all the research together and whatnot. I, I read dozens and dozens of, of books related to family and parenting and worldview and children and child development, all these things. And discipleship, and and one of the things that shocked me was in none of those did I find any of them that went back and said, "Well, if we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus, what does He consider a disciple?" Mm-hmm. And so I went through the Bible and found six particular places where Jesus Himself said, "You can't be my disciple unless, or you mm-hmm. will be my disciple if," 
And those six things to me encapsulate what it means to be a disciple. And I think it's important for our discussion here because we keep talking about, yeah, make your children into disciples, you know, or, you know, me talking about raise spiritual champions. Okay, what does that mean from Jesus' point of view? All right. So, you know, if we go back to the epistle of John, in John 8, Jesus kicked this all off, you know, when he said, you will be my disciples if you obey my teaching. Okay. Then a little bit later on, John 13, he said, you will be my disciples if you truly and deeply love one another, Mm. Uh, you know, the other disciples. Thirdly, then he came back in John 15 and he said, you will be my disciple if you produce a lot of spiritual fruit, i.e. go make more disciples, Mm -hmm. you know, as well as other things. Okay. And then in the, the epistle of Luke, you know, the book of Luke, three times in chapter 14, Jesus addresses the same thing. Here he takes the other point of view as opposed to, you know, you will be my disciple if. In Luke, he says, you cannot be my disciple unless, and firstly, he says, you love God so deeply, so profoundly, so robustly that it appears that all the other things that you think you love, you it, it appears that you hate them in right. comparison to how much you love God. That's how deep your love for him has to be. That's what will make you a disciple. And then a little bit later, he says, and by the way, you cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and carry it, which in Roman culture at that time where he was saying this would have meant that you've got to give in to the prevailing authority. Who's the prevailing authority? God. So it means you have to recognize God as being the only authority in your life. And then finally, in that chapter, he ends it up by saying, and by the way, you cannot be my disciple unless you surrender everything in your life in order to be my follower, in order to know me, to love me, to serve me. And so you look at those six things like, whoa, that's what a disciple is. And that's a tall order. But it's imperative that we understand not how America defines a disciple, because I looked at that and what I found is that in our country, we tend to think of a disciple as someone who believes that God exists, who believes that Jesus existed, and who says, and you know what? I'm trying my best to be a good person. Yeah. And I think that Jesus was a good person, and I think it'd be just swell if I was like him. Yeah. And that's as far as it goes. That's what we think of being discipleship, good intentions. Yeah. That's not what it's about. No, no. I want to, as you're saying all of these things, um, it's so fun. I'm actually reading through the epistles right now. Um, I'm I'm reading through the book of John again. I finished reading through the whole Bible again. And and I was like, I I think before I go back to the Old Testament, I'm going to start with the New Testament again and just read um, through the Gospels and through the letters. And and there's just so much in there that's so relevant. But I think the Old Testament um, is so, so important for us to know and to study as well. And as I'm thinking about what our purpose is in life and teaching our kids what their purpose is in life, and I've, I've read this before on the podcast, but it's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and it says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Like, that's it. If you want to just sum up all of those things in a nutshell, like this is really what it looks like to be a disciple. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And that's it, you guys. I mean, that's what we're trying to teach our kids to do on a daily basis. And it is, again, it's it's hard. 
It can be really, really hard because it takes a lot of intention. It's not as easy as just putting them in front of a TV screen or video games or even throwing a book at them. I mean, you know, you can give your kids all the books, but if you're not giving them the word of God, uh, none of that's going to matter anyway. So, um, Dr. Barnett, as as we're looking as parents and we're trying so hard to raise up this next generation of disciples and of world changers, really. I mean, we hear that term, you know, people want to change the world. We 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 want hope and change, right? But we want hope and change in the best direction that will really change our nation for the good. Um, and we'll change our families for the good because again, our families are in so much trouble in a lot of ways. What is the one last piece of advice? I mean, you, you've got a big audience here who's listening to you. If you could leave us all with one last message, what would it be? Wow. Um, that That's a tough one because a number of things come into my mind. Sure. Well, you can list as many as you'd like. <laughs> I, may, I may give you a couple. You know, it's but, fine. But, but the more the better. What I found is that in studying parents who are really effective at raising their kids to be disciples of Jesus, both they and when their children aged enough that they were adults and we could see, yeah, they stuck with it. They really mm-hmm. are serious about their faith in Christ. Uh, I interviewed both groups of people and asked the parents, what do you think you did that made the biggest difference? And then asked the kids, what do you think your parents did that helped you to be this kind of disciple today? And the thing that almost all of them, it wasn't 100% consistent, but almost all of them agreed on was my parents were so consistent. They knew what they believed. They knew why they believed it. Uh, they talked it. They showed it. And there was no deviation from it. They held me to it. Yeah. And even when I told them I hated them because of it, they didn't waver. They said, well, that's your choice. But I've got to do what my calling is. And my calling is to raise you up, to know, love, and serve God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. This is the best way I know how to do it. And, and so that consistency is critical. Understand that, by the way, as a parent, you will raise conflict with your children if you try to raise them to be a disciple. It's only natural in a culture that resists Jesus. And so just be prepared for that and know that it doesn't mean that you're failing. What it means is, yeah, you're getting through. They hear and see what you're saying. They yeah. see it's different than what the world is saying, and now they're battling with it. Mm-hmm. And and raising a disciple is always a dramatic, ongoing spiritual battle. Mm. It's never easy. And so yeah. just be prepared for that. Um, another thing I, I would say that, that's vitally important for parents is that whole identity piece. You've got to go into this knowing that you're the adult in the room. Doesn't matter whether your child likes it or not. You can try to make it more palatable. That's fine, but never compromise God's principles in the process. And so, identify as you know a follower of Christ, a, a disciple. Identify as the parent of that child with the primary responsibility for their spiritual development, and identify as being a disciple maker. And you know, live with the consequences of that. When you face God, he's going to ask you how you did on that. That's part of what your judgment's going to be about. Did yeah. you take it seriously or not? Did you invest yourself wholeheartedly in it or not? And right. the answers hopefully will be yes. And, you know, the results aren't all up to you. Yeah. You can only do your best to be obedient. Right. You know, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, you know, right. and, and God working here on the planet around us and through us and sometimes in spite of us. But you know what? You just do your job and let God do his. 
Yeah. Amen. All right. I have one last question for you because I was thinking about this as you were talking. Talk really quickly to the parent who, and and this is going to be kind of a two-part question, um, but I I think you can answer it fairly quickly. Uh, The parent who has not been intentional about discipling, they've listened this week to your message and your statistics and your studies, and they've said, you know, I've, I've blown it. I haven't done these things. How do I how do I get started? Maybe their kid's 15 years old or 17 years old, and they're just not sure what to do now. They feel kind of frozen and stuck. And then also to the parent who maybe they have done these things and they have that wayward child who's just not accepted the truth um, for themselves. How would you encourage those parents? Uh, be consistent. You know, with, with, with the wayward child, uh, you know, you never give up. It's never yeah. too late. No matter what a person's age is, one of the things I discovered in another study I did is that God will use a crisis in a person's life to cause them to sit back and reflect on, to question whether or not they're thinking right. And so rather than thinking of a crisis as as an awful thing that we want to avoid, God uses crises in our life to transform us, to bring us back onto the right path. When you see that happening in a child's life, help them, help them to think of the crisis in that manner and help them to go through that. You know, if you've got a child who's in their teens, in their 20s, 30s, whatever, and you think, oh man, it's too late. It's never too late, you know, because God's truth is God's truth and you are always their parent. And if you built that relationship with them, you're always going to have an entree to introduce some of these critical thoughts and behaviors and to continue modeling it for them through your consistency with biblical truth. So never give up and keep in mind that, you know what, uh, until we die, there's the opportunity for us to help people to recognize Mm. who Jesus Christ is, how much he loves them, what he did for them, and that it's never too late for somebody to say, I blew it before, but I'm not going to blow it from now on. I want Jesus as my savior and I'm going to live like him for him. That's the goal. and, And we can never give up on pursuing that goal. Oh, wow. Such good stuff. Um, you guys, again, the book is called Raising Spiritual Champions. It is such a great book. You must get a hold of this book. There is so much wisdom um, just poured throughout this book, and, and you guys will be well-equipped to raise your kids to know and love Jesus and have that solid biblical worldview foundation in their lives so that they can grow up that way and so that they can pass that on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation for as long as the Lord allows us to be on this earth. Um, Dr. Barna, thank you again so much for uh, sharing with us. It has been such an honor and a blessing to sit and chat with you um, this week. We appreciate it very, very much. Um, Thanks, Odette. It's been fun for me. I love your questions and, you know, your audience is so critically important to the church, the future of the the American church. So God bless all of you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for being with us. Stay tuned to the very end to hear what's coming up next on the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. If you guys have not seen the movie Schoolhouse Rock to the Homeschool Revolution, please watch the movie because as we've talked about all this stuff this week, if you're that mama or that dad who's just like, I don't know, that I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know about this homeschooling thing. I don't think I have what it takes. Watch the movie. It will encourage you because basically what it all comes down to is God will give you what you need. He is faithful and it's time to bring our children home and disciple them. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you back here next week. Bye. What we do at IEW is break through the, the noise of the grammar and the writing prompts, and we say, this is what you do. 
step by step. And I've witnessed it over and over again, both watching Andrew teach and hearing from parents, this is the best writing program. We've made it so easy and made it really affordable. So any mom can teach writing to their children using our course, and we guarantee it. To try three weeks of free lessons, visit IEW.com rocked. The language of stories is in one profound sense, the language of God. Yeah. What we know about who God is and what he has to say to us comes to us in the form of a story. It, yeah. And it has a protagonist and it has an initial conflict and has an obstacle between the, the protagonist and his goal. It has a climactic moment. The shape of God's testimony to us is the shape of a story. And yeah. so in a sense, when we're learning how to read human stories, we're learning the map of the language of God. 